Let's pray. Jesus, we do thank you that you are all that we would ever desire. Thank you, Lord, that you are ours and we are yours. Thank you for the wonderful relationship that you have provided for us who have placed our trust in you. And today, Father, as we look into your word, we ask, Father, for understanding and clarity, joy. Lord, even in the difficult verses that we will be discussing this day, there is joy because we know truth. And we would ask by your Spirit who dwells within us as believers that, Father, we would totally surrender and we would be all that you would ask us to be. We would ask, Father, that in the crisis of our nation, Lord, as we have existed for over 200 years, we realize that we are in desperate need of you. And so as we approach this subject, as you did, Father, many hundreds of years ago in Malachi's day, Lord, may we pay close attention to your standards. For we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Well, our subject this morning, as you can see on the screen, is God's case for traditional marriage. And I've used that word traditional marriage simply because that's one of the hot buttons today. Uh, you hear a lot about, quote, traditional marriage. And as it is debated on, uh, in the media, on the talk shows, you would tend to think that probably we can solve, if we can solve our financial issues, we can have some kind of grasp upon our economy, and at the same time be able to find some resolution to our health care, America will be safe and strong than ever before. And that, quite frankly, my, fo my friend, is a smokescreen, because that is simply the symptom of a greater problem. You see, even medically, if we just treat the symptoms, it never really gets down to resolving the issue of those symptoms. And so certainly we have problems economically. We have a health care issue. But what is the issue? And God's Word approaches that and deals with that in our study this morning. Primarily, we're going to be in Malachi chapter 2 and verses 10 through 16. But we're going to do some work prior to that so that we see how strong the message is in Malachi. Traditional marriage is simply, at its very simplest form of definition, would simply be that it's a uniting of two people, one male, one female, united together in a relationship, a commitment for life. That's the simplicity of it. It really isn't defined by governments. It's not defined by society. It was defined long before there were societies and governments. Obviously, it was defined by God. Notice in Genesis chapter 1 and verses 27 through 28, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Well, how did he create these first human beings, male and what? Female, he created them. 
God blessed them and God said to them, be faithful or be fruitful and multiply. Very, at the very first understanding of marriage, God says something that our culture is seeking to take away from us. Now, there's many issues here, but one that I believe often we as believers overlook is that God created marriage, a male and a female, biologically designed to produce children. Let's not let that be eroded from our culture. The purpose, one of the great designs of God in marriage is to produce godly offspring. And as we see, as we come to a more self-centered culture, we begin to say children are a problem. Children will take things away from us. We may not be able to satisfy all of our desires to have if we have too many children or if we have any children. And statistics show us today that more and more families are putting that off to the latter years, which is fine. That's a justifiable decision. But there are many who are saying, we don't want children. We're just going to tell you up front. We don't want them. I want to say very clearly this morning, biblically, that's a violation of why marriage exists. And we need to see that. And so we find here, he says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Marriage then is between a man and a woman in an interpersonal unity. And this is where it comes to the fulfillment of God's design. It is in that interpersonal relationship which no other two people can have except in a marriage. It's very spatially designed of God. Notice in Genesis 2.24, For this reason, then, a man shall leave his father and his mother, There shall be a a new start, a, a new unity. So he is to leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. God designed it that way. It's not really debatable. God has said. Therefore, it is truth. Therefore, it is an absolute truth. And we can debate it for centuries And we will continue, our culture will continue to deteriorate. Anytime you and I violate God's principles, God doesn't tell us and give us commands to debate them over. You don't do that in your home. You give your children instructions and sometimes you say, like all of us, this is not debatable. We are mom and we are dad and we have established this. We're not asking you whether you like it or you don't like it. We're not asking you to debate it. It's not debatable. I don't know how many times my father told me that. But it finally soaked in. There's no use talking about this. It's not debatable. I was about 16 probably when I first got that, after all of those years. Slow learner, yes. So this unity is not only a physical un- unity, though. It is also a spiritual and emotional unity of really profound dimensions. A husband and a wife joined together in a marriage are a people that God has joined together. I want to be careful how I say these things because we have some younger people in our midst, but I want, to, I want to be direct. I want us to get this simply because our society debates this. 
And any time a society anywhere debates what God has established in creation, you're going to have symptoms that deteriorate a culture. No wonder we have economic problems. No wonder we have care problems of health. We have all the other social ills. Why? Because in every culture known in civilization, it always goes this way when we walk away from God himself. So we see a sexual union with someone other than one's own wife or husband is an offense to God. We're going to see this explicitly clear in Scripture. I'm not sure that I have always, as a Christian, even understood how offensive sexual activity outside of marriage is. I get it that it's wrong. I believe it to be wrong. But somehow I have never really come to the place where I see how offensive it is to God. And I want to seek to help us this morning taking God's word and showing that this is not personal choice. This is an offense to Almighty God. I'm not really speaking to those who are non-Christians, even though certainly it applies to them. But my friends, I'm speaking to us, to me, to you as Christians. This is of profound proportions of Christians who have sexual activity outside of marriage or before marriage. This is a horrible offense to God. And he does not sleep and he does not slumber, obviously. And so every sin, especially sins of sexuality, are committed in the very presence of God. When there is sexual activity outside of marriage, it is done in the very presence of Almighty God. You cannot neglect that. God is omnipresent. And for especially Christians, it's impossible because Christ lives in us through His Spirit. Wherever you and I go, God goes. If you go to a prostitute, God is there. You've just taken them there. You can't ignore that. And whether there is physical sexual activity or not, the thoughts of it, the planning of it, the desire of it, God is there in your presence. This is the reason why pornography. People say, oh, well, it's just one of those things about men. No. It is that abhorrence to God. Because it is those thoughts, it is those images, it is those pictures in which God views with us. You cannot escape. You can turn out all the lights that God still sees. God is still there. So we take a precious truth as believers that God's Spirit dwells within us and He'll never leave us nor forsake us, but I think I can avoid... I don't, I don't take that biblical principle when I'm thinking about sinful activity. That's God's point. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and verse 14 through 15. Now God has not only raised the Lord, but will also raise us up through His power. Verse 15. Do you not know? Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? We are members of the body of Christ. That's so profoundly true throughout Scripture. Shall I then take away the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? That's pretty graphic. 
When you lie with a woman that is not your wife, God lies with you. You have just taken God into that horrible, sinful activity. I can't think of anything else that would be more disgusting to God. And yet, who of us take heed lest you fall? Who of us don't battle with those issues, Christian or non-Christian? And the Apostle Paul's point in writing to the Corinthians, as well as God's point throughout the rest of Scripture, is the fact is that God says, I want you to see how I see it. That will help you to flee from it. You don't flee just simply because you know. You flee because you say, wow, I never realized when I watched those images and when I have those thoughts of another woman, even though we never make physical contact, I never realized how blasphemous that was to God. Then I walk in here on Sunday (laughs) as if it never happened. Simply because my culture, my Christian culture has told me, well, as long as you physically were not involved, images are okay. God doesn't make that distinction. Neither should we. Paul says in this verse 15, may it never be. A Christian's body is God's temple. His spirit dwells within us. Sexual sins involves Christ with a harlot. That's as plain as we can get. Who of us, as a born-again believer, would do that to Christ? How can I be so deceived to think that I can leave Christ someplace and go participate in this? And it's not, it's sin, yes, but it's not that bad because... That's my choice, and I did it personally, and I didn't hurt anybody. That's a foolish statement by society because Christ just said it always hurts him. In Matthew chapter 19 and verses 3 through 6, as we read this morning, some Pharisees came to Jesus, testing him and asking, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? It was in Jewish culture in the time of that day, yes, for any reason. We have documentations in which men would divorce your wife simply because she didn't clean the dishes as you would like to have them cleaned. Why? What was the motivation for that? I will find any reason to get rid of you so I can go find another one. But I want to make it legal in Jewish culture because if I'm caught in adultery, I'm stoned. But I want to be with this other woman, so I will come up with these types of excuses. This is why Jesus makes it very clear what divorce is about here. It says in verse 4, and he answered and said, Have you not read? Have you not read the absolute truth of Scripture? Have you not listened to God? Have you not read that he, God, who created them from the beginning, made them male and female? It's the reason why liberal theologians want us to do away with the first first 11 chapters of Genesis. Why? Because it gets you out of some really some tough problems. 
But it's there. (laughs) All Scripture is inspired. And so in the latter part of verse 4, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, quote, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Isn't it interesting from that union, there comes one, two people making what? One. Isn't it interesting? So they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. Our culture says, well, let's debate this. After all, who is to say that it has to be male and female? Why can't it be male and male and female and female? I mean, who is to say? What did Jesus say? Very simply. Go back, and it, was it not said that God created a male and a female? And that is a traditional marriage. Not because our culture says so, not because the church says so, it's because God said so. End of argument. Matthew 19, verse 7. They said to him, well, wow, Lord, that can't be true. Well, even Moses... Lord, you respect Moses. He commanded to give her a certificate of divorce and send her away. Yes, he did. Why? For the protection. Now listen, for those of you who don't believe God cares about women, he gave Moses permission to do that for the safety of the wife. And they say, if you're going to do this, then you're going to give her a writ of divorce because you're not going to be able to take her back. Because these guys were just wanting to have their women. And so when they got tired of the second one, they'd say, well, you know, it was probably a hasty decision. First one, will you come back? And God said in Deuteronomy chapter 24, no. The first one isn't coming back. I forbid it. And so this was a very gracious thing God did for their culture, even though it was totally wrong. But for the sake of the woman. You see, in the Jewish law in Jesus' day, Jewish women didn't have the right to divorce their husbands. Only husbands had the right to divorce their wives. Now, later on in the first century, in Rome's influence, then both were able to divorce each other, sadly to say. But we continue in verse 8. He said to them, because of your hardness, why did I do this? Why did I permit Moses? It wasn't because of your spirituality. It was because of your hardness of heart. Moses permitted you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it has not been this way. So if a man divorces for any other reason than immorality that's been proven, God says, if you go marry another one, I tell you what. The courts may not recognize it, but one day when you stand before me, you have committed adultery. There it is. It's no wonder our culture wants to say, we don't believe the Bible is inspired anymore. Why? Because it's a judgment against our culture. Verse 9, and I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. You say, but I didn't know that. And that can be true. 
You may be sitting here and I didn't know that. I listened to my culture and I thought it was okay. I didn't know that. What do I do? Am I condemned forever? No. But it does take repentance. And it does mean you go back and make things right. You can't divorce and go back. But you can have repentance towards God. And you can say to all of those involved in involving the children as well, I am sorry. I was wrong. I ask for your forgiveness. That's God's principle always. You go back and you clean up the mess. I remember the first time I had the harsh reality of cleaning up a diaper <laughs> with our first child. <laughs> Sadly to say, it was such a mess, I never wanted to do that again. And my wife says, well, but this is a joint venture, <laughs> okay? But that's the point. This is a mess. It is messy. We need to see it as messy. I am thankful for God's forgiveness. that God has provided a way through Christ. If the relationship of a man with his wife is like this, the disciples said, they were so entrenched in the Jewish understanding and thinking, they said, wow, if this, if if it's this limited, I'm not sure we want to be married. If this relationship of the man with his wife is like this, Jesus, it's better not to marry. No, there is something better. What is better is to marry and obey. Because that's the joy. The joy is in the obedience and rearing godly children. Now, God has permitted man and gives him the freedom to disobey. But never without consequences. Please remember that. Do people have the choice to wrongly divorce? Yes. But not without consequences. Romans 1, 24 through 27. You see, we can't solve our economics. We can't solve our health care problems. We can't solve any societal problems. We can't resolve it. We can treat the symptoms. We can put millions of dollars in it, trillions of dollars. We can't resolve it till we come to God's remedy. An understanding of why it is occurring and what is the solution. Verse 24, Romans 1. Therefore God gave them over to the lusts of their hearts to impurity. Uh, This word for impurity here is the same word that is used in the New Testament and also the Hebrew word I understand is quite similar to it is looking at a decayed body. That's a pretty disgusting with earthquakes and floods and where you see bodies openly displayed and corrupting in the sun. That is something that is disgusting. Well, God says, therefore God gave those who ignore God over in their lust of their hearts to impurity, to this disgusting thing, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. There are consequences. We hurry up and come up with medical treatments so that we can sin and we don't have to pay the consequences. I tell you, there is payday with God. There is payday with God. And God's grace seems to be for those who are affected by this horrendous sinning. For the sake of those who were not involved, such as children, there are some remedies today.
But never should we take that, that we have outfought or outfoxed God. It'll never happen. So that their bodies will be dishonored among them. Verse 25, for they exchange. In other words, they cease doing what is right and change it to something that is wrong. For they exchange the truth of God for a lie. And they worship and serve the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Think about that. Amen. Think about it. Verse 26, for this reason, for these who cease from doing it right and began to do it wrong, for this reason God gave them over to degrading passions. Do you realize how bad we can be if God did not put restraints? You'd say, well, one thing for sure, I would never be a, a Hitler. You have and I have the potential to do everything Hitler did and far worse. Because we are born in sin. And there is a restraint today that humanity does not exercise its sinfulness to its full degree. And we ought to be thankful for that. For this reason God gave them over to degrading passions for the women exchanged. They ceased their right physical function and started another physical function, the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way also the men abandoned, that's the word for divorce there, by the way, they divorced themselves from their natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another. Men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own person the due penalty of their error. This is the reason why God's law in Israel under Moses was the death penalty for homosexuality and lesbianism. Our culture looks at it and says, what kind of a God is this that will not let us do what we want to do? What kind of a God is this? Well, if you find a God that will let you do what you want to do with no consequences, you don't have a God. Because God does have his laws, and the consequences are serious. Now our culture says, let's debate this. Let's debate this because there is some evidence that people are born with this. You know, there is no evidence. Even now, homosexual groups say, bottom line is, we don't have any medical evidence of that. That's a media hype. I listened to over seven hours in the last three days of some of this that I'm delivering. I was appalled. It's not Christians saying this. It's the other side who is saying, flat out, you ask us for the evidence, we don't have it. I think, how in the world do I hear this? Doesn't anybody ever check out anything anymore? 10% of our population is homosexual. No, it isn't. It's less than 2%. It's probably like 1.1%. Nobody debates that. But we're fed through the media and through the talk shows of a minute grouping of people in our society who wants to change the way we live. Do you and I as Christians buy into that? 
do we say, well, you know, I don't know if I want to stand too strong on that at the at work because, you know, there, there seem, maybe there is some evidence. Can God's Word be wrong? Can our eternal God got it wrong? There is some information that God says, whoops, I didn't think of that. Wow, thank you, human beings, for figuring that out for me. That's not the God that you and I serve. That's not the God of the Bible. You say, well, you hate these. No, 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 no. Don't buy into that. Don't be forced. No, I do not hate. (laughs) If I hate sin, I'd hate myself. It's not an issue of, of hatred. It's an issue of truth. It's an issue to say, stop, live life as God created it, whoever it is. And so in verse 27, in the same way, also the men abandon the natural function, both women and men. You'd say, but give me a little hope. I have a daughter, I have a son, I have a sister, I have a brother. Maybe it's you. And you'd say, I've just struggled with this issue. Is there any hope? If we go to the Bible, yes. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 through 11. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Well, who are those who are unrighteous? He says, don't be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals. There's a play here on words for the passive partner and the dominant partner. God left nothing to chance here. Nor the effeminate, the soft one, nor the homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. So all of us fit in here someplace, right? All of us fit somewhere here with all the rest. Verse 11. Here's here's the solution. Here's the encouragement. Here's what changes our lives. Such were some of you. Such were. That's past tense. You were like this. But you were washed You were sanctified. You were set apart. You were justified. You notice he's not putting in the present tense this media scam which says, well, how can you... You Christians are hurting people who claim to be Christians and can't stop being an adulterer, can't stop being a homosexual. Wait a minute, that's not true. God just said you can He puts all of this in the past. If I can stop being what I once was because of the redemptive work of Jesus Christ, all sinners can stop. Do we all wrestle with it after we're saved? Yes, that's the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within us. We just simply have to stay with the Word and graciously present the Word. And graciously present that there is a solution. It's called salvation. 1 Timothy 1, 9 through 10, by the way. Realizing the fact that the law is not made for a righteous person, you don't put up all of these 70 mile per hour speed limits for people who never go 70. I have a grandson who believes there's one person in our immediate family who never will be fined for going over the speed limit. 
It's not me. (laughs) Realizing that the fact it's not made for a righteous person. Righteous people don't need laws. But for those who are lawless and rebellious, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who kill their fathers or mothers for murderers or immoral people and homosexuals and kidnappers and liars and perjurers and whatever else is contrary to what? And all of that leads up to these last two words. What is it? Healthy teaching, sound teaching, truth. There it is. Just present what? Truth. Present it. Live it. In Malachi's day, the Israelites who had returned as we talked last Sunday were now discouraged. The prophets had said, if you'll come back and set up the temple and you, and you start your sacrificial system, build up the city walls, the Messiah will come. And that is true. But the people in Malachi's day... I want it now. I want it now. And if I don't have it now, I'm going to be disappointed in God, which brings horrendous problems. The Messiah will come. But the prophets didn't say now. And so they got discouraged. Decades had passed. Probably at least a hundred years by the time Malachi comes on the scene. And they are discouraged. The big point, I think, for us to remember today is when you are disappointed with God, whatever your issue, whatever my issue is, in which we are disappointed with God, I tell you, you will sin against Him in your thoughts and actions. When you start and say, I am disappointed with God because I did not get what I thought I... I..." Now, you may not say that to anyone, but inside, you and I have been at the place where we say, I'm disappointed with God. I just don't think He treated me right. We've all been there at least once. And that slides you right in to sin even greater. Because now, with that on my mind, I will continue to sin in thought, and thoughts become what? Actions. Now, with the time left, there are two major problems in the society in Malachi's day. By the way, the very same problems we have today. And God has his prophet to address them with these people who are disappointed and discouraged and don't know what to do. The first one is mixed marriages. The second one is divorces that are not biblical. And I only know of one reason that you can have a biblical divorce and you don't have to have that one. Now, let me just clarify In the state of West Virginia, the laws are written where whether you want a divorce or not, your spouse may force it upon you. We understand that. The position is that we never agree to it. Why? Because God said so. That's the reason. Now, in Malachi chapter 2, verse 10, let's talk about what God believes about a faithful person who trusts in the God of heaven desires to marry someone who does not and is not faithful to God. Verse 10. Do we not all have one father? Malachi presents to the people. 
Do we not have one Father? Did not God create the human race? Has not one God created us? So, is that a repeat? No, it isn't. The first one is, is he not the Father of all creation? Did not God create us all? And secondly, did not God choose us Israelites to be a special vessel unto him? Answer is what? Yes. Why do we deal treacherously? Why do we betray each other against his brother? Why do we act treacherously towards one another so as to profane we violate the covenant of our fathers our fathers made a covenant the lord made a covenant with our fathers and our fathers agreed so that israel would be preserved to be a separate nation and produce godly descendants why do you violate that if you violate that promise of god our culture will deteriorate and we will not produce godly children and we will not be godly people. Did that ever happen? You have a thousand years from 1485 B.C. all the way down to Malachi's day is a thousand years. And you see nothing but a sweeping history of people who say thumbs up to God in the senses get out of our life to the place where God left none in their land to be a light to the world. That broke God's heart. God is our Father because He has created us. He is our Father because He has chosen us as believers as well. Unfaithfulness then to this one God will affect my relationship with everybody. I would be insane to think that I can offend God and have a right relationship with anybody else. It's impossible. Verse 11, Judah has dealt treacherously Judah has betrayed their God and their fellow man and an abomination. It is disgust. The word is for, it's repulsive. It's disgusting. Maybe this will help us so that we don't put ourselves out and say, oh no, I would never be that way before God. In Proverbs 6, he gives seven things that's a disgusting to God. It's an abomination to him. Remember what some of them are? Pride. Help me out. Pride. Lying. What else? Acts of violence and a desire for acts of violence. There are six of them. And then he mentions the seventh one. Those who cause discord. Those who tell half-truths. Those who set their own agenda. Those who say it so people will be suspicious of what truth is. These, these are not small sins. God says this is an abomination. So as Judah dealt treacherously, and an abomination thing has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem, for Judah has profaned. It has violated the dwelling place of the Lord which he loves. How, he was saying, how can you guys, how can you women go marry somebody of another nation and then come with a smile, with a lamb on your shoulder, and you sacrifice it and worship God. This isn't an abomination. How can you ever expect a society to survive this? Historically, we've never known one to do that. I don't think America will be an exception to you. And we're on a fast track because we're dealing with symptoms, and we think we're solving something. 
It's amazing how we can make laws about economics and laws about health care and we scrap the laws about morality. <laughs> it's unbelievable from our standpoint of, as Bible believers. Well, watch what he says here. So Judah has profaned the sanctuary, the dwelling place of the Lord which he loves. Because in the Old Testament, this is where God's presence was. You see, today, it's, he lives within us. But in the Old Testament, he lived in the sanctuary. His presence was there. And he says, And has married the daughter of a foreign god. Verse 12, As for the man who does this, Listen to what God says. And as for a man who does this, marries a non-Israelite, may the Lord cut off, the word is banish, from the tents of Jacob everyone who awaits and answers. That was just a proverbial expression stating that no one would be left. God says, do you think not I will banish you from this nation? Or who presents an offering to the Lord of hosts. How can we continue to be in our sins and come and sing worship songs and delight in the Lord? It's a good question for me. It's a good question for all of us. So, God said in the law of Deuteronomy, you are not to marry the daughters or sons or have your sons or daughters marry anyone who is not an Israelite. That's forbidden. I will banish you. What does God say to us? Well, let's look at one more and we'll do them both together. Not only is it an abomination about mixed marriages, and I'm sure you can draw the parallel to that is, what happens when a saved son, saved daughter, gets infatuated with an unsaved person? Same thing. God's very clear on that. In verse 13, not only was it about mixed marriages, but divorces. This is another thing you do. God says, you cover the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping, and with groaning because he no longer regards this offering or accepts it. We want to go play with our sins. We want to marry who we want to marry, divorce who we want to divorce, and then we want to come to church <laughs> and we say, God, why do you have a problem with me? One's divorce in order to marry another and then they were upset that God wouldn't accept their sacrifices and give them the blessing. Now, I've never had to face that issue. Never want to. But there are other issues that you and I face. God says, Don, how can you do what you want to do in your fleshly desires and then you want me to bless the ministry? You ever do that with God? I want to do it my way. I can handle this. I've thought this through. I have set, I don't know how many, but down through the years, cautioning young men and women, please don't do this. Your parents have warned you. Your parents are brokenhearted. 
Oh, but pastor, I love him so much. To love somebody that God says is forbidden, you've missed the point. You don't love. You may have an emotion. You may have some sexual hormones going, but you don't love. It's impossible. Now, if that's not enough, it gets worse. Verse 14. Yet you say, yet you say, for what reason? God, why would you restrain the the blessings from us? Because the Lord has been a witness between you and the wife of your youth, against whom you have dealt treacherously. You have betrayed her and your God. This is the reason why somebody the other day said, you know, I have noticed you want to get red in the face over certain issues. That's not always good. But I do get red in the face when people say, I understand what God says. I understand he doesn't like it. But God and I have talked it over and God says it's okay. That just absolutely blows me away. Wow, a private conversation with God in which we can take our pen and wipe it out of Scripture. What would be left in a week if we all did that? But you, and here's the other one, you don't understand my situation, and I don't. I've admitted that to many. I don't. But God did long before he wrote this, because God knows all things. So I guess your excuse doesn't work. Or my excuse. Verse 15. But not one has done so who has a remnant of the Spirit. This verse 15 is an overwhelmingly difficult verse. Even the experts, which I'm not, admit that up front. So let me give you my best shot after reading, I don't know how many different alternatives. But not one has done so who has a remnant of the Spirit. And what did that one do while he was seeking a godly offspring? Take heed then to your spirit and let no one deal treacherously against the wife of your youth. You say, okay, why is that so difficult? I really don't know. But I do know it at least means this. I shouldn't deal treacherously with Anita. I got that. And for right now, that's a lot. I got that. Don't deal treacherously with your wife. Don't be a deceit. Don't deceitfully treat your wife wrongly. Take heed then to your spirit. And let no one deal treacherously against the wife of your youth. Verse 16. For I hate. Hate in the sense of a shunning of relationship. I hate, God says, divorce. I hate it when you divorce for unbiblical reasons. No matter how much you justify it. In fact, God hates it worse when you and I try to justify it. Says the Lord, the God of Israel, so he makes very clear who's talking here. And him who covers his garment with wrong. In the Old Testament, there was a tradition. The fact is, the woman that you desired to marry, you would throw a spread over her body, and, and that was symbolic of, I come into a covenant relationship with you to protect you. He says to these guys, you throw it upon them, and it is a blanket of violence. 
It is a blanket of violence. For I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel, and him who covers his garment with wrong, says the Lord of hosts. So take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. Proverbs says, right living exalts a nation. Sin, sinful behavior, destroys a culture. We weep for America. I was just thinking the other day, a roommate of mine at the university that I attended is now a Supreme Court judge of this state. I understand his political views. I understand his morality. And I think I would be just like him if it was not for the grace of God. I would be just like him. I care for his soul, but I am horrified to believe that there are men and women in high places, not only in our states, but in our government, who make these laws and justify them as the law of the land. Voting is not enough, and it doesn't do any good to vote anyway in, in many perspectives. Some of them are appointments. I don't mean that derogatory. I'm just saying many are appointments. The only hope I see in Scripture is what God has given us for decades and centuries. Live right. Live right. Live right. Let God do his work. Which also includes voting, obviously. So take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. In the five minutes we have left, I want to bring this down personally to us. Number one, let's understand it in its cultural perspective. What did God desire for Israel to understand from Malachi? What should they have gotten? Number one is, don't marry foreign women. They will lead you astray to idolatry. I forbid it. I will bring severe consequences. I will banish you from your, from your nation. Number two, they were not to divorce their wives. Many were divorcing their wives in order to marry a foreign woman. Why? Think about it a moment, for those of you who know your culture of, of the Old Testament. You see, here comes these people who had been very, most of them had been, Jewish people had been very successful in Persia. Many of these were business people. They really sacrificed to come to Jerusalem to build the temple. Now then, what they were doing then to say, but we need more land. And the people who live in the land, how do you get land? Well, you marry the daughter. I'll divorce my Hebrew wife in order to You'd say, well, we don't do that today. You've been asleep too long. They were to produce godly children. It breaks the heart of God when Christians have the attitude both ways, really. 
Some people, because of the physical condition, cannot have children. We understand that. It's part of the fallen race, and one, one day in heaven that will no longer be an issue about health. But for people that God has desired to have long families, bless them. Don't come out with cute statements. That's derogatory, it's demeaning, and it offends God. Say, I don't have a clue what you're talking about. Well, you know, the statements, but don't they know how this happens? That's an offense. That is an offense to God. If God has led you to have one child, two child, three child, or 20 child, that's between you and God, and God puts his blessing to it. If you decide that you are capable of having children and you don't want to because you didn't have all the money and time for yourself, then that's an abomination to God. That's just clear-cut scripture. They were to produce godly children. That is God's design in the creative act. I have created you and molded you as human beings to be able to come together, join together, have children. I want godly children. I want people to worship me. And we get to participate in that. Let me just simply say this. Sexuality outside of marriage is an abomination to God. Sexuality inside of marriage is an act of worship. And it takes a clean, godly mind to think that way. What's the timeless principles here? How do, how do we extract it from its culture if it needs to be, do, to be done? How do we extract that and say, what's the pure, timeless principle for all people regardless of where they live on the planet? Well, it's clearly the believer is not to marry an unbeliever. Paul says this twice. How can you take the temple of God and marry to something that doesn't have God? Number two, it says, if your spouse, if your believing spouse dies, you may, you have God's permission to marry again, but only in the what? It's a timeless principle. Anywhere, anytime. Number two, believer is not to divorce his spouse. God says don't do it. There is no problem between two Christians that cannot be ironed out. Divorce is not an acceptable choice. Marriages have a responsibility to bear godly children. It's one thing to bear children. Any man can do that. It takes a real man to rear godly children with his wife. There's a huge difference. And the timeless principle that God has is and will always hate divorce because it violates God's principle. You know, last summer, I don't know what, I was doing something downstairs. I was, I know I'd run out of wood and I was trying to put some things together and I found a little piece of wood and I said, oh, this will work. The only problem is it was glued together and it was nailed together. But it was the exact size I needed. So, cheapo me, you know, I'm not going to go to Lowe's. I'll get my crowbar out and I will pry these boards apart. You know, it was interesting. When I pried them eventually apart, Something was missing in both. And that's the same thing. That's the reason why God says, let no man separate two people who are married. You can't come clean. It's impossible because God has put you together. <laughs> no matter what you do. Now you say, 
But what's the health of this? The only health is is repentance. The same as for all of us, regardless of what we have done. Divorce is not the only ugly sin. We're just dealing with a passage that has that in it. We're all ugly. (laughs) We've all been marred. Let's honor God and repent, confess, make it right. Give our culture some hope. I would say this, for some of you are young men and young women. If you profess to know the Lord and you get infatuated by another person of the opposite sex, and you want to marry them and your dad asks you the question, are they a Christian? Listen carefully. There's more to it than the daughter says, oh yes, he told me so. Love will do some strange things. It'll convert people in a second. And dads, I know you love your daughters, but I hope you love God more. And if you really love your daughters, you'll do the godly thing. And to say, young lady or young son, you go through several months of premarital counseling, and we'll rethink this. Let that young man show the evidence, or young lady show the evidence that they're truly born again. You can't fake it forever. Oh, Dad, we've got to do it now. And at a certain age, they can. Here's my unbiased opinion. Honor God and to say, if you choose to do this, I will not be present. I will not walk you down the aisle and be an abomination to my God who says this is wrong. I love you, but I love God more. And if you want to get angry and offensive about that, then you'll have to do that. Daughter, son, for any person who is getting married who would drag their parents into a wedding in which they give their approval to something that God says is an abomination, you have a lot to answer for. Don't ever put your parents in that perspective. That is horrible. Now, I've probably offended some people, but probably not. Probably not. I know you know that. Notice what Matthew chapter 20 says, 35 through 37. Look at this. This is Jesus' words. For I came to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother. This is Jesus, this lovable person that our culture talks about. Doesn't want to cause any problems. And a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a man's enemies will be the enemies of his household. He who loves father and mother more than me is not what? Man, that, that's hard on a father. It's hard on a mom. Is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of what? Daughter, please don't put me in that situation. Son, don't put me there. Because I tell you what the answer is now. I won't even have to think about it. You're on your own. Sorry. I am not going to be an abomination and a disgust to God. I love you too much. The last one. Timeless. I must never marry an unbeliever. I must never divorce my spouse. You say, what if she commits adultery? I don't have, God gave permission to a culture, I'm a Christian, I don't have to get a divorce. God nowhere demands that you do that. 
it may be wise to pray, be godly, be faithful, be a light. See what God does. God can handle that. And to rear children to be godly and to defend traditional marriage, not by voting necessarily, not by yelling. Folks, the greatest impact you and I can have is do it by lifestyle. Prove that it works. Because marriages are not perfect anywhere. So when you and I are disappointed with God, remember we will sin against Him. I think I need to be present in the art of marriage. That's a plug. Because I don't have a perfect marriage. And my wife doesn't have a perfect husband. God's Word's going to be taught. I need that. If you have to borrow the money, borrow. But before you do that, if you don't have it, ask me. If you're really serious and you don't have it, I'll pay for it. I really will. And there's probably other men and women who will do the same. I'm serious about that. It's not a pride thing. That's how I so much want God to be honored. Pray that our community will see this advertisement. They will come. Just not so we can meet people, even though that's part of it. Be delighted to do that. Folks, our culture is headed for destruction. Only Christians can stop it by God's enablement. Let's pray. Father, we want to worship you. Boy, these have been some difficult verses. They're hard-hitting. But, Lord, we love you. We want the truth. All of us, there's not one dad, there's not one mom, there's not one grandparent, there's not one person in this auditorium who has done it perfectly. But, Lord, we love you, and we're going to do what's right. And we'll make it right for those that we have violated and lived treacherously against. We want to do that because we want to honor you. We believe our culture is worth saving. But it's going to take godliness, not money. And it will take more than just good people in office. It will still take godliness. It will take a Christian lifestyle before a watching world. And so, Father, right now in our hearts, we will make a decision whether we will be committed to these truths, not the church, not me. Are we committed to these principles or are we not? The future will give evidence to the consequences of our choices. For the babies that we hold in our laps, for the children we hold hands with going home today, for our adult children, may we be a lifestyle of holiness and godliness, that you will be pleased and you will be praised. In Jesus' name, amen.